Hi friends, it's Pastor Drew Wilkerson from Bridgewater Church. Hey, thanks for stopping by this podcast. It's our prayer that as you listen, God will speak to your heart and you will feel inspired and you'll learn new things that will help you in your daily walk with God and just in life in general. So again, thanks for stopping by and thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Bridgewater family. My name is Liz, and I am the online pastor here at Bridgewater. But this week, I am delighted to be coming to you from Hamilton, Ohio, where I get to spend a little bit of time here in person with our staff doing some some planning for the year and getting excited about all of the things that God has in store for us. We are in week three of a New Year series that has been all about the invitations that God makes to us and the ways that that we can choose to participate in them. I hope that you've been able to be a part of this series this month. If you haven't, you can always go back and rewatch a message online at bwch.org or on YouTube. And I hope that you are sensing this, this invitation of God on your life as we head into a brand new year and an exciting new season. I love the beginning of a new year. Give me all of the blank planners, all of the bucket lists, all of the vision boards. I get extra motivated for all the things. Cleaning the house, waking up early, starting one of those Bible in a year plans. You know the drill. But inevitably, for me at least, my planner pages stay up to date for like the first two and a half weeks. The house gets dirty again and the snooze button keeps getting hit, and I make it (laughs) about to the book of Numbers before calling the whole Bible in a year plan off. I have read the book of Genesis several more times than the other 65 books of the Bible. And this isn't exclusive to me, and here's how I know, because I'm spending time on social media, and as I scroll through, it is full and full of ads for new planners and of people posting their New Year's resolutions and their life hacks. In fact, the other day, I ran across an ad for a device that I personally found pretty disconcerting. It's called The Ticker. And it's a watch that uses an algorithm to, wait for it, predict the time of your death. The Smithsonian Magazine had this to say about it. To arrive at an estimation of how much longer someone has to live, users fill out a questionnaire that's designed to add or subtract years based on current age, exercise habits, and other health-related forms. That exact time can then be programmed into the watch at which point the final countdown begins. What? Why? The answer isn't actually as crazy as it seems. People, especially those of us in Western cultures, are surrounded by the idea that a busy, productive, fit in everything until the very last second has been filled kind of lives. And we think those are the kinds that we're supposed to be living. But here's the thing. I'm not convinced that we were actually created to need all of these life hacks and certainly not death watches. The invitation that I think that God has for each of us, not only for a new year but for all of our years, is not to hack life but to live with a different outlook on time itself. Rather than looking at it flippantly as something that that just passes or idealistically as something that we can master, 
or fearfully as something that's slipping away. This morning, I want to talk about what it could be like if we look at time gratefully, realistically, and expectantly. I'm reading a book right now that has a title that reminds me of just how focused on time we can get. But before I tell you the title, let's take a second for a little trivia question. How many weeks do you think the average human lifespan is? If you're a math person, just like go with your gut on this one. Don't do all the calculations. Got a number? The title of the book is 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. And in it, author Oliver Berkman reminds readers that if we live to be 80, we've got just over 4,000 weeks. And he talks about this visceral reaction that some might have to this idea, to the realization that we just cannot fit absolutely everything in to our 4,000 short weeks on earth. And then he shares this thought that I loved. He says, but maybe it's not that you've been cheated out of an unlimited supply of time. Maybe it's almost incomprehensibly miraculous to have been granted any time at all. Scripture confirms that our time is indeed a miracle. Psalm 139, 16 says, Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them yet existed. The first shift that we need to make when it comes to our understanding of time is to look at time gratefully. In a world that, that tells us that life is just this coming together of cells, as Christians, we believe that the life we were given is intentional, was planned for by the creator of the universe, and is nothing short of a miracle. I think that, that we can be tempted sometimes to use this definition of life when we're talking about new life, of a tiny, sweet, newborn baby, and an unlimited potential, but not to look at it in our own lives and think of time with the same kind of awe and of hope. It gets so easy to fall into the swing of things and begin to take all of this, these maybe 4,000 weeks, flippantly. Rather than living from a posture of gratitude, I find myself going through the motions, sometimes even begrudgingly approaching the day. Think about all of the ways we spend our time. Maybe you've even done some of these already this day. Think about making the bed, letting the dog out, feeding your kid breakfast, drinking some coffee. In each of these moments, the ones that are almost numbingly normal, we have the option of being flippant, or of approaching it with gratitude. We can be grateful for the bed that we got out of and the rest that we got. We can be excited about how cute the dog is, even when they need to be let out at 6 a.m. on a chilly morning. We can be thankful for this phase in your kid's life. It only happens once. We can be thankful for the warmth of the coffee in the mug and the little energy boost it brings. That one's probably the easiest one for me. And these may seem like they are small, mundane moments. But the fact that you exist in this place and in this time and with these people is nothing short of a miracle. When we look at time gratefully, it changes the way that we use it. One of the practical shifts that I see in my own life is that I tend to do less of the escapey kinds of things when I'm looking at my time with gratitude. 
Instead of escaping into something mindless like a binge watch of an old show, for me it is Gilmore Girls, or of another scroll of the same old Instagram posts, I find myself maybe having a meaningful conversation with a roommate, um, of taking a moment to smile at a neighbor or someone on the subway, of sitting and listening to the bells that ring from the church that's down the block from me. Not a single moment of this life is an accident. It's all meant to be intentional, and gratitude leads to more wonder and curiosity about what God is doing around us, rather than falling into monotony and distraction. Living life from this stance takes practice, but once you begin, I think that you'll find yourself noticing more and more moments of authentic gratitude for the place that you're in, the people that you are with, and the time that you have been given. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us all about this. You're probably familiar with the first part of this passage. It's the the season and time for everything one. And while that's a lovely part, and it's very fitting for this morning, so go back and read the first part of this. It was the verses that followed that jumped out at me and led to our next outlook shift. Let's look at Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 15. What gain have the workers from their toil? I've seen the business that God has given to everyone to be busy with. He's made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, he has put a sense of past and future into their minds, yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it's God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of their toil. I know that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done this so that all should stand in awe before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already is, and God seeks out what has gone by. And in the verses that follow, the author goes on to remind the reader that that we are more similar even to the animals than what we would like to imagine. Verse 19 reads, For the fate of humans and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. And while this may seem like a bleak understanding of life and of time, our next outlook shift has the potential to bring immense freedom. Rather than looking at time idealistically, wishing that that the past could change and hoping to do everything that we could possibly dream up, God calls us to look at time realistically. Realistic is not something that I get overly excited about being. It just doesn't feel fun. I would much rather be dreaming up a list of all of the places I would like to travel someday than sitting down with a calendar and a budget and actually planning the first trip. But what inevitably happens when we escape into the infinite possibilities is that we can ignore the finite limitations and never even check the first place off of the list. The reality is that there will always be more possibilities than what we can experience. And so, we have to choose and prioritize. For the believer, this has much larger implications than simply not checking off all of the things on our bucket list. If we believe what Ephesians 2 says, for we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them, then we must believe that there are good works that have been prepared by God for us to live out. When surrounded by more entertainment and distraction than ever before in history, choosing to prioritize what God is calling us to can feel almost 
paralyzing. There are just so many good things that could come first. So we try our life hacks and our productivity tools, and we pray that we can squeeze it all in. In the same 4,000 Weeks book that I mentioned before, Berkman writes, convenience culture seduces us into imagining that we might find room for everything important by eliminating only life's tedious tasks. But it's a lie. You have to choose a few things, sacrifice everything else, and deal with the inevitable sense of loss that results. Initially, this feels pretty depressing because of the inevitable sense of loss part. But there's the part we haven't touched on yet. For those who are following Jesus, this loss is part of a much larger gain. Matthew 16, 24 to 26 is the case in point. It says this, Then Jesus told his disciples, If any wish to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? Friends, Jesus turns the tables on time. What feels like loss becomes gain. Profit in the eyes of the world no longer matters. Jesus is saying that this loss that we experience when we make a conscious and active decision to put the first thing first is not actually a loss at all, but a step into the true life that he has for us. So what are these few things that we're called to choose, sacrificing everything else? You could grab a random self-help book off the shelves and immediately find maps of, of how to set your goals or identify your core values, but thankfully, we are already given a guide to show us the way. In Mark chapter 12, we see Jesus in the temple courts with the teachers and the elders, and one of them asks Jesus what the most important commandment is. So, so basically, he's asking the same question that we are. What should I value most? What should I be putting first? And Jesus responds this way. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. I love reading beyond those first few verses that we're so accustomed to and hearing what this teacher's response was. Because first of all, I think it's laughable that he's like, good answer, Jesus. Like, what? Who is this guy? But beyond that, I love the first emphasis on God being one and there being no other but him. That alone sets the entire foundation for what we should be putting first. No other thing, no other person, no other project, no other career path should compete with God for our time and our attention. And to love him with all of our hearts and minds and strengths is not a happenstance, flippant kind of love. It takes habit and routine. And while I don't 
believe that there's some perfect prescription for how and where and when we should be spending time with God in prayer and in the Word. I do know that without some kind of plan, most things don't happen with the consistency that we hope for. So what does that look like for you? Have you been trying to squeeze time with God in like some kind of convenient culture life hack? I love that we have access to things like podcasts and audio Bibles and devos that can play in the corner of our screen even while we're checking our email or driving our cars. And those things do serve a purpose in our day, but they also seem like tools to just kind of help check it off the list. Let's use today in this, in this first month of a new year as a starting point for truly placing time with God first in the prime times of our days. That might be early morning for you, or it might be a specific time in the evening when everything else stops and you find space to get alone with God. When we look at our time realistically, realizing that we can't fit it all in, but that the sacrifices are truly gain in the eyes of God, we can live without the fear of missing out, which leads us to our final shift in our outlook on time. Let's check out 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be destroyed with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and destroyed, and the elements will melt with fire. But in accordance with his promise, we wait for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. One day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. Rather than looking at time fearfully as though it is slipping away too quickly, we can look at time expectantly. Have you ever noticed that Jesus never appears rushed in any of the miracle stories? Think about it. There's the one where they're all on a boat and it's storming and the waves are crashing in and the disciples are panicking and Jesus is sleeping. There's the very first one where this incredible wedding party has gotten less incredible as it's run out of wine and Jesus is like, nope, not the time yet. There's the one where the daughter is gravely sick and Jesus just keeps stopping along the way. And the one where his close friend Lazarus is sick and literally dies before Jesus ever gets there. And then there are the three days. The three days when Jesus' body has been taken from the cross and placed in a cold, dark tomb and a stone rolled in and guards placed at the entrance. But what do we see happen each time? But then Jesus gets up and calms the waves. He turns the water into wine. Wine, a process that takes a lot of time for the very best ones. He heals several other people on the path and brings Jairus' daughter to full health. 
He cries with those who are mourning, and he literally raises Lazarus to life. And then he is risen himself. The stone is rolled away, and the tomb is empty. Death has been defeated against all odds and all earthly understanding. You see, Jesus has no fear of missing out because the kingdom doesn't operate on human timing. Isn't that great news? The fear that, that we have time that is only slipping away from us can be transformed into expectation, not only for what God is going to do in the here and now, but in the eternal kingdom that is coming. Our passage in 2 Peter reminds us that we are not only living for today, but for the promise of God for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness is at home. The long and the short of it is this, that our time here on earth is brief. A thousand years is like a day. But that it's only a part of the infinite life that we have in Christ. A day is like a thousand years. We, we don't need to live our earthly lives flippantly or idealistically or fearfully when it comes to this time that we're given. But we'll live our fullest lives when we're able to be grateful, to be realistic, and to be expectant. So as we, as we head into this new year together as a community, let's vow to each other to put God first and then our neighbors, each other, loving in a way that shows a world that's bound up in the earthly idea of our short 4,000 weeks that there is far more to live for. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you for the days that you have given us. God, we thank you that you created us intentionally, that you made us with a plan, and that you knew our days before we even existed. God, I ask that as we move into this new year, to 2023, God, that you would help us to be grateful for the time that we've been given, to be realistic as we give our plans over to you and as we listen to the things that you have for us and put you first. God, I ask that you would fill us with expectation for the things to come in this place, the things to come in our own lives, and the things to come for a world that you have promised wholeness and healing for. God, it's amazing that you invite us to be a part of it, and we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Friends, we're so thankful that you have joined us as part of this online community today. And I hope that you have been able to stay connected all throughout the week. There are great ways to be a part of what's happening here. You can always find us on Facebook and on Instagram, as well as at bwch.org. I also wanted to point out that there is a prayer list there at bwch.org that you can find under the prayer tab in ministries. And if you jump on there, you can use that prayer list as part of this intentional time with God to pray over the needs of our community here at BWC. And so I wanted to encourage you to do that. If you have a prayer request that you would like added, there's a form to do that there as well. We are in this together, whether we're online or, or joining us in-house at 3100 Princeton. And I hope that you feel included in all of that. Until we see each other again, take heart and be transformed. Hey friends, thanks for listening. And if you want to be a part of our e-family, then all you have to do to join us is click the link below and you can check us out on our YouTube page. You can also join us on social media. And if you'd like to support the ministry, 
then just click the link to give. We're so grateful for all of our partners and together we can do more than we can alone. So again, thanks to all of you for listening to this podcast and also thank you for helping us reach people around the world for Jesus Christ.